Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the fact that he paid the price for our sin, the price that we could not pay because of his sinless, perfect life, his sacrificial death, we have salvation. And now we ask simply that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us, that you would remind us of the things that are true and right. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but it feels like as soon as we get a handle on what's going on around us, something changes. We have our newly minted studio here. We barely finished it four or five hours, and we got all of these new recommendations and guidelines. And I just want to encourage you this morning to take care, to follow the guidelines that our health professionals are giving us, to be calm and to be patient and trust that God is going to care for us through all of these difficulties. I know that I'm very thankful for all of this technology that we have at our disposal. It's been good to be able to have these connections with you. I know it's not the same as being together at the high school, and it's not the same as having all of our groups be able to meet as usual, but at least we can have these connections, and I would encourage you to continue to do that. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a couple of things. I want to talk about remembering and I want to talk about hope and suggest to you that those two things are linked together for us as Christ followers. Now, in our lives, we tend to celebrate significant milestones. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. We celebrate other significant events in life and in our culture. And maybe you can think back and remember some of the birthdays, for instance, that you've had. You remember a specific party or having friends over or being with family, or maybe you even remember a couple of the specific gifts that you've gotten. For Melody and I, the most significant date in our lives is November 13th, because on November 13th, 1993, we got married. It'll be 27 years this fall, which is really hard to fathom that it's been that long, but it's been a great 27 years that we've had together, and we're so thankful for it. The last few years, we've spent our vacations uh, in Florida in November, so we've been able to spend our whole anniversary day together. And we love to talk and to reminisce about what happened. Some crazy things happened, as happened probably in most weddings, and a lot of good things, of course. And we love reconnecting with that part of our story. We're not able to watch it because it's on VHS and nobody has a VCR anymore, but we just love reminiscing. And, and it makes me realize that, that remembering is not just recalling, it's going back to recover part of your story. And I want to encourage you to do that. Remembering is about your identity. Remembering is about reminding yourself who you are and where you came from. When I think about my childhood, I think about summers when I was 12 and 13 years old, and we used to ride our bikes all over the Bible College campus where we grew up. My brother Doug and Tim and a few others of our friends in those evenings just riding around without a care in the world. I remember times that I spent with my mom and dad and things that we did together, vacations that we took. And I understand that some of you may not have a lot of good memories about your childhood. Not everyone grows up in a loving, caring home. I understand that. But I want you to stick with me. I want to suggest to you this morning that there is another day that you can recall fondly and thankfully that will help you connect 
with your identity and who you really are. And that is the day that Jesus Christ changed your life. We're going to celebrate communion together in a few moments. And communion is about that. It's about remembering. It's about recalling who you are in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Uh, I want to encourage you that while we look backward to remember, we also look forward and hope because of Christ's sacrifice for us and the promise of his return. Now, I'm going to read you a few verses from the book of Matthew where Jesus talks about this act with his disciples. It's the last time that he really has to spend with them, to speak with them, to teach them in any way. And uh, it's, it's the night before he goes to the cross. So follow along with me as I read some of these verses. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they celebrated the Passover, or prepared the Passover, rather. The Passover was a celebration of God's physical deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt about 1,400 years before that. You can read about it in the book of Exodus. And all Jews celebrated Passover every year. So this was normal and expected. And you can see the disciples, they went to Jesus and said, where do we want to have Passover this year? They did it every year. These guys probably had done it a couple of times with Jesus because they had spent some time with him now. All of the Jews paused to remember the sacrifice that, that was made by the Israelites in Egypt all those years before. Now, we're told some estimates are that at this time, time in history in Jerusalem, some 250,000 lambs were slaughtered at Passover to make all of those sacrifices. You see, every individual home would make their own Passover sacrifice. They would go to the temple, take the lamb, the priest would uh, sacrifice it on the altar, the blood would be spilled as an offering for sin, and then the meat was taken by the family back to their home so that they could celebrate the Passover meal together. Uh, now, when we compare this record of what Jesus did with his disciples in Matthew with Mark's recollection of it and Luke's and John's, it looks like there's a little bit of a time discrepancy, but I think what we see here is that Jesus actually celebrated the Passover a little bit earlier than usual. Now, you have to understand, and, and I'm not a Passover expert, so I'm going to try to get these details as, as close as I can, but there was a very specific time of day and a very specific order of events and very specific elements of the meal that the Jews were to observe. And Jesus moved the timeline up a little bit and celebrated the Passover early with his disciples. Why would he do that? Well, I want to suggest to you that he did it very carefully and very intentionally. Because at the time when the Jews would typically actually eat their meal together for the Passover, Jesus was going to be on the cross. And in the celebration of the physical deliverance of Israel by God, 
Jesus was providing spiritual deliverance for all of our sin. And so he sits down with the disciples to celebrate their Passover meal. Let's keep reading. Matthew 26, verse 20 says, When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. Now, there's just some interesting cultural things here in these verses I want you to notice. First of all, it says that they reclined at the table. This is not something that we typically do in our culture, but it was very common in this early Eastern culture. Uh, this was called the, the triclinium. It was a manner of eating that was very popular in which there would be a U-shaped table, a very low table to the floor, and the people who are eating dinner would sit or kind of lay on cushions and pillows on the floor around the table, perhaps lean on one elbow and then reach to the table to grab food with the other. And it was a very casual, just relaxed setting. It was very intimate. You were close together and you would enjoy that conversation and fellowship around the table. So the disciples and Jesus are sitting there. They're having their Passover meal, which is, again, normal. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of this celebration, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples are taken aback. And it's interesting to me, their reaction, they immediately start looking around and, and, and looking at Jesus and saying, is it me, Lord? Is it me? Why I think this is interesting is that it's very self-focused on the disciples. Apparently, no one says, you're going to be betrayed? What's going to happen? Are you going to get in trouble? Are you going to go to jail? They're just thinking, am I the one that's doing it? What's going on here? They're, they're kind of all flustered. And I want you to notice here that even though Jesus has this knowledge, it doesn't change what he's going to do. In that verse there, he says, the Son of Man goes as it has been written literally, as, as it has been determined. Why? If Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed, why does he continue to move forward? Well, quite simply, my friends, he moves forward despite his knowledge because this is God's plan. This is God's purpose that Jesus Christ would be betrayed, that he would be arrested and tried, and that he would die on the cross for you and for me to provide our salvation. In John chapter 10, Jesus said it this way, No one takes my life from me. I am laying it down. Jesus didn't die because he was betrayed. He didn't die because the authorities had all this power. He died because he willingly laid down his life for you and me. One more section that we want to read together. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, 
and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now you may be wondering, as we think about all that's transpiring here, why was Judas even there? Like, why did Jesus allow him to be there if he was going to betray him? I want you to take a second and think about who's around that table. Peter's there. I don't know what you know about Peter, but uh, Peter had a big mouth. (laughs) Peter was always getting himself in trouble. He was always jumping in and acting before he was thinking. James and John were there. They had a nickname. They were called the Sons of Thunder. They were known for their fiery tempers. Thomas was there. Thomas never heard anything that he didn't have a question for. Why is this happening? How is that going to take place? He was always wondering. You know, no one really deserved to be around that table. When I think about myself, when I think about us, none of us is worthy to be here. Except for the grace and mercy and love of God, I could not be here celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, claiming my place as as part of the family of God. And I say that to you this morning, my friends, because you may be watching and you may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may be thinking, God couldn't love me. There's no way that God would accept me. I'm not worthy. My friends, none of us are worthy except for the love and the grace of God. And Jesus, in the middle of this meal, he reaches down and he takes the bread that's already on the table. Why didn't he take the lamb? There was lamb on the table because that's part of the dinner. I believe he reached down and he took the bread because for us, Because of what Jesus was about to do on the cross, there didn't need to be a lamb anymore. Jesus was the lamb. There was no more sacrifice to be made, to be needed for sin. And so he took the bread and he said, this bread is a symbol of my body and I want you to eat it. And then in verse 27 it says, he gave thanks for the cup. And he encouraged them to drink it. He gave thanks for it. He knew what he was saying. This cup is a symbol of my blood. Now, it wasn't really his blood. He was sitting there. It was a cup with wine in it. And he gave thanks for it because he knew the good that would come from the evil that was about to transpire. Now, it's interesting to note in the celebration of the Passover that the Jews made every year, there were typically four cups of wine that were drunk throughout the evening. The first cup was called the cup of benediction, and that's at the very beginning of the celebration. 
And then the second cup was typically drunk right before the meal started. The third cup was called the cup of blessing, and that was right as the main meal ended. And then there was a fourth cup that was drunk at the end of the evening, at the end of the celebration. Perhaps when Jesus reached and took the cup of wine that night, it was the third cup right after the meal. It says, as they were eating. This cup was also called the cup of the redemption. And I picture in the middle of this meal and in the middle of this celebration and and remembrance of all that God had done for the nation of Israel 1,400 years before, that Jesus reached forward to the table and he grabbed that cup and he said, this is about me. For 1,400 years, you have been drinking this third cup, this cup of redemption, and thanking God for this physical remembrance, or deliverance rather, and I want to tell you that this has all been about me. I'm the one who redeems. I'm the one who's going to deliver you spiritually from your sin. Jesus used the Passover, which they all understood as an object lesson for the spiritual rescue. He said, this covenant is in my blood. It's no longer about the blood of the lambs that are sacrificed. It's about my blood, which would cover our sin completely once for all. Well, then you notice in verse 29, Jesus says something here, and I think we can shed a little light on this. Jesus said, I'm not going to drink the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Now, understanding that there were typically four cups, the disciples probably not understanding everything that's going on here. They, they probably are, are just trying to reconcile everything that's happening there tonight. And he does the third cup, and they they probably thinking something like, well, we don't usually say that here, but okay, it's Jesus. He's, he's our rabbi. He's our teacher. And so we're, we're just going to listen to him. We're going to go with it. And so maybe someone was preparing the fourth cup. And Jesus said, I'm not going to drink that one right now. I'm going to drink it one more time. But it's not going to be until we're together in the kingdom. Well, it says they sang a hymn which was traditional with the Passover. They would sing together. And then they went out. And later that evening, Jesus would be arrested He would be put on trial. He would be slandered, beaten, and crucified. He would be sacrificed, literally, to death for us. Later on, in the book of Acts, we see the Apostle Paul and Silas. They're in Philippi. They're preaching this gospel of Christ's sacrifice. They are thrown in jail. The jailer sees the miraculous power of God at work in their lives. And he says to them in Acts 16, Sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? And Paul looks at this jailer and he says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. My friend, what about you? Have you trusted Jesus Christ for that salvation? 
Now we gather here at this communion table to celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf and for our sin. And if you're not a Christ follower this morning, I want to invite you to trust Christ. Jesus himself invites you to trust him, to willingly admit your sin, to admit your guilt and confess it to him. And believe, Romans says, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sin, that he paid the price and that God raised him from the dead. Ask him for forgiveness and trust him as your savior. And he will forgive you. He will save you. And he will change you. If you are part of the family, if you are a Christ follower, we're going to celebrate communion here. We ask you to join us. Remember as we do this that we are looking backward and forward. We're looking backward in thanksgiving. We're remembering what Jesus did. And we're looking forward in hope that one day he will return. Jesus gave us this object lesson to teach us. And we must, first of all, commemorate his death. We must, secondly, anticipate his return. And then, thirdly, we must participate in this remembrance. This is not passive. It's active. We do it together. And I know it's going to seem a little strange that we're not all together in one room doing it, but we can still do it together. Together we affirm our faith in Jesus Christ and we physically, visibly, publicly celebrate our unity as the family of God. And I want to encourage you this morning to use this remembrance to reattach to your identity as God's child. Remember that you are part of his family. Can I read you some verses from 1 Corinthians 11 this morning as we celebrate communion? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I want to encourage you at home this morning to take the bread that you have, and I'm going to pray and ask God to bless it, and then we're going to eat it together. Father, thank you for the body of Jesus Christ that was nailed to the cross, that was willingly offered as a sacrifice for me and for each one of us. Father, I pray that you will just bless it this morning. I pray that you will just hear our offerings of thanksgiving, hear our prayers of thankfulness as we do this. In Christ's name, amen. So take the bread and we eat it together in remembrance of him. I want to encourage you to take the cup now, if you have your cup right there. And we're going to do the same thing. 
I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing. Remember, the cup is a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses our hearts from sin. Father, we are so thankful for the blood of Christ. We are so thankful that there are no further offerings that need to be given. And we remember his sacrifice today. Thank you for the cleansing of our hearts from sin. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. And so let's take our cup and we'll drink together. Mm -hmm.